0: Welcome in to another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and your host for the WSN podcast. Today on the WSN podcast, we're going to talk about and dive deeper into a proposal that uh, that, that we highlighted that is being advanced by the WIAA, Basketball Coaches Advisory Committee. Uh, a couple of proposals, actually. The first that would, uh, would introduce the shot clock, and, and we'll talk about the history of that. Discussion and, um, you know, pros, cons, all that good stuff. Uh, and then also a proposal separate from the shot clock by the basketball coaches committee that would uh, realign the divisional structure. There would still be five divisions, but it would change how many teams are in each division and the cut lines for those divisions. And then also, uh, as part of that plan, would uh, advance six teams from Division I to the Basketball State Tournament for boys and girls. So that's going to be the focus of, of what we're talking about today on the WSN podcast. We're going to highlight also some changes that we announced this week to our WSN Extra service and also give a little bit of a shout out and recap of the recently complete, uh, recently completed WFCA Combine. Before we get into all of that though, let's remind everybody out there to help save lives on Wisconsin roads, the life you save might just be yours Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Also, we want to uh, uh, let everybody know that you can gain the athletic advantage of B3 Sciences BFR training. See the results of your strength or performance training, exercise or rehab in less time. Trusted by a growing list of professional teams like the Milwaukee Brewers, Kansas City Chiefs, Chicago Cubs... Uh, Kansas City Royals, the Raiders, the Clippers, the Jets, the Knicks, the Steelers, a number of professional teams and a growing number of U.S. Olympic teams, including USA Volleyball, USA Weightlifting, USA Track and Field. Contact Dr. Ken Otto, B3, BFR Certified Coach and visit drken.b3sciences.com. Well, let's dive into the uh, the two noteworthy basketball proposals that were Announced uh, this week, I, I guess maybe not announced is the right way to put it, but uh, we did uh, did an article that uh, that these were going to be advanced from the WIAA basketball coaches advisory committee. Uh, that committee met April fifth uh, after the basketball season, and in at that sport uh, coaches advisory committee, just like they do for all of the coaches' advisory committees after their seasons are completed. Uh, they review, you know, what is uh, wh- what items are of importance, what things they would like to see changed or adjusted for season regulations, tournament regulations. Just a reminder, that's not really where they get into uh, playing rules. Playing rules are determined and decided by the National Federation of State High School Associations, the NFHS, they're the ones that determine playing rules. So, you know, things like what is a foul? What is a penalty in football? How do you enforce penalties, uniform, uh, things, all, all that good stuff. Playing rules are determined at the NFHS level, but, uh, out of the coaches advisory committees, they can, uh, look at season regulations. They can look at tournament regulations and, uh, and that's kind of the focus of what they do at those committees. So Let's take a little trip down memory lane, though, before we get into um, you know what what came out of this meeting, and let's let's revisit discussion around a shot clock in high school basketball in the state of Wisconsin. We go back to 2017. Out of this same committee, the basketball coaches committee, there was a, a discussion and ultimately a proposal to advance a shot clock uh, in high school basketball in Wisconsin. It, was, um, it, it wasn't something, I, I don't think, from, from talking to people that were involved at that time that, that they thought necessarily was going to be passed immediately. But it was something that they wanted to get on the radar of the decision makers at the WIAA, which is the, at that time was the Board of Control elected representatives from the member schools. They wanted to get that idea going. They wanted to get that conversation going. They weren't necessarily thinking, hey, this is gonna pass this first year. Um, proposed at the coaches' Advisory Committee. Advanced through the rest of the committee structure for the WIAA that we'll talk about in more detail coming up a little bit later. Um, you know, not not a huge amount of support through the other committees, but it got to the Board of Control, and I believe it was a five to four vote to implement the shot clock. And it, it really shocked a lot of people. There, there hadn't really been a lot of chatter. There hadn't really been a lot of talk about, you know, this being on the horizon, what the impact would be. It wasn't, you know, given the opportunity for the schools to... to you know, be heard at the area meetings in the fall. It was it was proposed in April, it was voted on in June, and passed in a very narrow margin by the Board of Control in June of 2017. And, and immediately when it was passed, there was a pretty significant um, blowback from the schools, from the administrators at the schools who felt like they did not have the appropriate um, Ability to provide feedback to get the full um, you know impact of what the shot clock would be, and uh, it it wasn't uh, wasn't well received at the school level, um, and ultimately a few months later, after some of that negative feedback, and I think there was one or two changes as well on the board of control in terms of the representatives that were on the board of control at the time. Um, after that negative feedback and after, you know, more discussion amongst the association, a few months later, the board voted to rescind the shot clock. And that was a narrow vote as well. I believe it it might've been five to four in favor of rescinding. Um, I I don't recall the exact vote, but I, I I remember it being very close. Um, so the shot clock went away at that time before it was ever implemented. And it was a little bit of a, you know, I don't know if black eye is the right way to put it, but it didn't um, it didn't create a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings amongst the schools for a shot clock. And it, it really did help lead to some changes that, that schools wanted to see um, to give the schools more authority and more power uh, at the membership level, especially over items that would uh, potentially add cost. And and we'll talk about the cost and, and how it would all work in a moment. But um, out of that discussion, and also out of the dis, uh, discussion a couple years later, where basketball teams were, um, the, the, the varsity game maximum was raised from 22 games to 24. Out of kind of both of those those things. There was frustration amongst the schools and amongst the uh, advisory council as well, which is the the group that um, reviews proposals prior to the board of control. There was a sense that number one, the, the advisory council should have more of a say, specifically in that um, that game maximum uh, adjustment. I believe that was voted down. That was uh, not supported. At the advisory council level, but at that time, that was just an advisory vote. Ultimately, the board of control had final say over that uh, that that plan and in all plans actually. Um, in the advisory council, some people on the advisory council and in the membership felt like the advisory council should have a little bit more of a say, and that if something was voted down at the advisory council level, that you know why should the board of control be able to overrule that? So. There was a petition to place a constitutional amendment on the WIAA uh, annual meeting agenda a, a couple years ago that uh, made it so if an item out of the coaches' advisories, any, uh, any sport, not just basketball, but any sport, uh, was not supported by the advisory council, it would not advance to the board of control agenda to a, to a vote. In that past through the WIA membership at the annual meeting. Also at that same meeting was a petition of the schools related significantly to the shot clock and to the game maximum adjustment that um, made it so that any proposals that would add costs to the schools would have to be uh, voted on by the membership so that you know, things would go through the regular committee process and in the rulemaking process through the various committees would go to the board of control for a, uh, an up or down vote. But then after that board of control vote, any proposals like a shot clock that add, excuse me, cost to the schools would have to be approved by the general membership at the annual meeting the following year. So this discussion and, and that kind of controversy in um, the back and forth of the shot clock back in 2017, you know, really did bring on some changes to how the WIAA works. And I think the, the quick pace that the shot clock went through the first time in 2017 also kind of left a, a bad taste in the mouth of some schools and administrators. And I think ultimately... Probably pushed back and delayed implementation of a shot clock, if or when it does occur. Um, I think if if it would have been a, a, a longer process where they would have had a chance to uh, provide some more information, had a chance to, you know, have schools provide feedback on if or how it would work best for their school, if it had gone through the area meeting process for, uh, you know, for one, one year... Um, if it if it would have been um, handled a little better, I think it, it would have had a much likely, much more likely chance to pass. And maybe it, obviously it would have been a year or two later. But um, I, I think it it stood a much better chance to pass. Instead, you know, when they rescinded the shot clock, it was it was one of those deals where you know it wasn't going to be brought back. It wasn't going to be something that they wanted to consider right away the next year or anything so it it got delayed it got pushed back and then COVID happened and and you know budgets got constrained and and things got changed and and that delayed it maybe a little as well last year out of the coaches advisory committee the coaches uh, group uh, proposed limited implementation of a shot clock for those that would like to to use it in non-conference games. It gave them the ability in non-conference play to use a shot clock if they choose and if they have it in their gym. Because there are some gyms, not a lot, but there are some gyms built, you know, more recently that have installed shot clocks to uh, future-proof their gymnasiums. So there are places that have a shot clock that could operate it right now and, uh, in that proposal last year would have given them ability to do so. It was defeated, I believe, unanimously um, at the advisory council level. And so it did not even advance to the board of control for consideration. But obviously it started the conversation again. It got people talking about the shot clock again. The WBCA had surveyed its members uh, in the last couple years um, and I th- it was around 60% that supported use of a shot clock, and so again within the basketball community, that discussion of a shot clock has been going on the last couple of years and picking up steam. Um, after after that failed vote at the advisory council last year on the you know limited um, application of a shot clock, the the stakeholders, including the the WBCA, the WB or the WIAA, wanted to get a better feel for where school uh, viewpoints were on, on the issue. And so the WBCA did a, uh, a survey where they, they surveyed the schools, not necessarily the coaches, because they had an idea and, and a good idea of, you know, what the coaches felt on the topic, but, uh, they, they wanted to get a feel for where schools were at on it. Um, they asked the schools to provide one vote. Um, it, it had to be cleared through the superintendent. Even if it was cast by the athletic director, it, it had to be the you know, the voice of the school uh, and, and thus the voice of the superintendent. So that survey was done in December of 2022, uh, WBCA survey. 339 schools responded, which is a very good representation of, of schools, enough that it's you know, statistically relevant and not likely to be statistically different Um, If there had been 500 responses, uh, there's 518 high schools in the uh, association, I believe. Um, And it was an interesting vote. Um, Overall, 45.7 favored the shot clock, 54.3% against a shot clock. The interesting part was where things broke down on a divisional basis, the big schools were, were very much in favor of a shot clock. At the division one level, it was eighty four, sixteen, roughly in favor. Division two was sixty three, thirty eight in favor. And then you started getting to the the division three and lower, and it was ah pretty substantially against implementation of a shot clock at the school level. Um, division three was about forty one, fifty nine against. Division four was 3367 against Division five was 2179 against use of a shot clock. Again, that was a school vote. That was a school, um, you know viewpoint on the shot clock, not necessarily the basketball coach's uh, viewpoint on the shot clock. So that gets us to where we are today, where, uh, the, the Basketball Coaches Advisory Committee has brought it back around. And the Basketball Coaches Association, which I'm a, a member of and on the executive board of, has made it a, a significant focal point. Um, there, there's been some indication that the, the, the WBCA uh, would like to see this brought forward every year until it is passed. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Ultimately, it has to go through the WI Coaches Advisory Committee. But there, there is a significant push amongst the basketball community right now, uh, including you know, the, the key, key decision makers at the, the WBCA and on the coaches' advisory committee. There is a significant push to make the, the shot clock a, you know, a focal point of what they would like to see done in uh, high school basketball in the state of Wisconsin. So let's get to where we are today. Again, the proposal from the Basketball Coaches Advisory Committee would implement a shot clock in the 25-26 season, utilizing the NFHS shot clock regulations. A few things to touch on, clarify, and and note regarding this particular proposal. The proposal would apply to all levels of high school basketball, varsity, JV, freshman, C-team, JV2, However you phrase your your levels, all levels of high school basketball would utilize a 35-second shot clock. The NFHS uh, regulations require that there are two visible timepieces in each gym that are attached to the backboard supports. You cannot set up temporary movable shot clocks just off in the corner. Uh, according to the NFHS guidelines, you can't mount it on a wall. It has to be mounted on the backboard supports. Um, people are, are familiar with the shot clock, obviously from the NBA and college basketball, but the NFHS does have some differences in the shot clock. First of all, the time, obviously it's 35 seconds that the NFHS and the, the, the proposal here would be as opposed to 30 seconds in, um, in college basketball and 24 seconds in the NBA. In the NBA, in college, if there's an offensive rebound that hits the the rim, the shot clock is reset to a lower number. In college, it goes to 20 seconds, and in NBA, I can't remember if it's 14 or, or what it is, but it's a lower number. The NFHS rule, and thus this proposal, would be a full reset of the shot clock on any offensive rebound that hits the rim. Um, a kicked ball with less than 19 seconds remaining would reset the shot clock to 20 seconds. Uh, there's there's more details in particulars that the NFHS lays out in terms of application and and you know uses and in officials' responsibilities and all those things um, that you know I, I think are important as the schools would move forward with this if they if it is passed, but. You know, for, for all intents and purposes, the, the big big items are the, obviously a 35 second shot clock um, that it's required at all levels and that it would be for the uh, implemented in the 2025-2026 season. The reason for the the delay, if you will, or the uh, the longer time frame before implementation, is is for a number of reasons. First of all, as I mentioned earlier, out of the previous shot clock debate and discussion, um, the shot clock, if passed and supported at the advisory council and at the board of control, would not be implemented unless and until the full membership votes on it at the annual meeting in the spring in, in April of 2024. So that pushes things back, obviously. It's not like it would be you know, voted on in June at the uh, Board of Control meeting, and that's it, and then t- people can start working forward on it. It would uh, not be fully approved until at the earliest, April of 2024. Also, one of the concerns, one of the significant concerns that people have, and we'll talk about these a little bit later, is is the cost involved, especially the upfront cost, associated with a shot clock and by pushing it out a little bit farther it does give schools uh, a longer uh, lead time, longer ramp up time to budget for implementation of a shot clock. It gives them longer lead time to train, to to find people to to run it and to train them on it. It gives schools and, and coaches the opportunity to potentially, you know, practice with a shot clock if they would like to, whether in season or, you know, in the summer leading up to the the implementation or the off season. Um, it, it gives some more flexibility to the schools and the coaches to, to make a shot clock work if it was passed. So that's why there's a little bit of a, um, you know, a ramp up period for the shot clock. Um, So timeline, and I've kind of talked about this a little bit already, but as of right now, again, the Basketball Coaches Advisory Committee met on April 5th. The next group that it goes to is the WI Sports Advisory Committee, which is made up of athletic directors. They will provide an advisory vote. They don't have yes or no power. They don't have veto power. It's just an advisory vote. Um, the executive staff will review and prov- uh, potentially provide advisory votes on that proposal. And then really the big uh, the big dates are in June. On June 20th, the WIA Advisory Council will meet to review all winter sport um, proposals, season and, and tournament regulation proposals. They will have an up or down vote on the shot clock at that time uh, if they vote uh, to support, it will advance to the board of control to the next level. If they vote against, then it can be defeated at that level. In one of the the uh, you know the the comments about the proposal last year that would have done limited implementation of the shot clock, one of the the the, the some of the feedback from the advisory council was, "Listen, it's it's all or nothing. It's it's either let's do it." or let's not do it, but let's not kind of, you know, tiptoe into it. They also felt that the limited um, implementation or, you know, doing it as a, a test almost was was kind of a backdoor to full widespread implementation because once, you know, once you do it for non-conference games, it's, it's going to happen. So why not just, you know... Let's go, yes or no, and that was kind of some of the feedback from the advisory council. So, where does that leave us? Well, um, we know that coaches, in you know, in totality, are are supportive of the shot clock. Um, we know that schools are a little bit hesitant uh, to support a shot clock uh, right now. Players, I think, are probably, I, I would guess, in favor. I, I don't know that they fully grasp all the, the nuances and, and impacts and, and things. Fans, I I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of fans that, that would like to see the game faster and think it'd be a great thing and whatever. And certainly, you know, people coming from the AAU world that, that play faster and, and whatever, you know, are, are supportive of it. Um, there are some AAU players tournaments and club tournaments that they play with a shot clock i don't know how many there's you know the smaller ones i don't think do i don't know how many even in wisconsin play with a shot clock um in any tournaments um somebody somebody made a comment on our uh, facebook post about the the shot clock uh proposal that if you know if aau teams could figure out how to do it then then high school teams should okay, well, AAU teams have never paid for a shot clock. They would never pay for a shot clock. They're not the ones paying for it. So, you know, it'd be, it'd be the schools doing it. And it's not, uh, when they use a shot clock in AAU, It's again, it's not the AAU schools that paid for that in the first place. So lots of people want to spend other people's money, which is always fun. Um, and I think that was, again, that was a concern going back to 2017 that the schools are the ones that would have to pay for this. And they should have a larger voice in in how this would work. Um, The Board of Control meeting is on June 21st. So if it's supported at the uh, advisory council level, it would go to the Board of Control on June 21st, where they could vote to support or vote it down. But again, even if they vote in support, it's not a final vote. That final vote would go to the annual meeting in 2024 for the schools, where a simple majority would be needed to uh, to pass the proposal. Um, we'll see if there's also a, along this committee process, if there's any changes to the proposal. Right now, it's very simple and straightforward. It's implementing a, a shot clock using NFHS uh, uh, recommendations in the 25-26 season. Uh, there could be changes along the way. There, there could be you know a, a change that would make it varsity only so that it would save potentially some costs on uh, on the schools that you wouldn't have to put it in as many gyms, and we'll talk about that in a minute. You wouldn't have to hire as many people at the lower level, where already it's hard to find somebody to run a, a varsity clock at a lot of schools, let alone a JV or freshman clock, let alone a shot clock as well at those uh, at those schools. So um, there there could be some adjustments. There could be some amendments to the proposal as it advances through this process. But uh, June 20th, a big day for the shot clock is that's the advisory council meeting. And June 21st is the uh, board of control meeting, which is uh, another big day. And then the next one would be April of 2024. A Few other items that I think are important to note around the shot clock debate. Um, and I mentioned it earlier that this is all levels, this proposal which means that all of your courts where you play any level of high school basketball games would need to have a shot clock. So so for the majority of schools, it is not just one set of shot clocks that you would have to get. It is multiple sets of shot clocks that you would have to get. Um, Depending on your school, that could be two if you have uh, freshman and JV games that happen at the same time, then you're playing games on multiple courts, either in the same gym, uh, in a in a field house type uh, type gym, or you're pay, playing excuse me, you know a, a freshman game in your in your auxiliary gym and the JV game on your main court, um, whatever it is, there's it's more likely that you're going to have multiple um, sets of shot clocks that you're going to purchase. I posted a poll on Twitter earlier today asking that question, how many sets of shot clocks would your school need? And as of right now, a few hundred, almost 300 uh, responses there. About 30% say they would only need one set. 54% say they would need two sets. 12% say they would need three sets. And about 5% say they would need four sets Of shot clocks. Let's talk about price for a moment. Um, When the shot clock was uh, initially discussed back in 2017, there was, you know, a lot of talk about what it would cost. But I don't think there was a lot of exact numbers um, discussed, and I I still don't think that there are a lot of exact official numbers uh, available and discussed out there. I've seen people say that it can cost as low as two or three thousand. I think that is Unlikely, I don't know that that is reality. Um, I I think from the best estimates I have seen, it's anywhere from five to 10,000, depending on which one you go with, depending on what your current gym setup is, what your current scoreboard setup is, if you have to replace anything, if you have to, you know, what the installation would require. There's a lot of variables and it's not going to be the same cost for every school. Certainly, the schools that have put a shot clock in as part of their gym redesign or construction of a new school, it costs them much less than it would be for schools that have to retrofit their existing gym. Um, I've seen some estimates uh, that you know it can run four to 5,000 per shot clock by the time you factor in and that, per clock, not per set, but per clock, uh, by the time you factor in installation, wiring, setup uh, any, excuse me, anything like that. Um, and again, if we're talking, let's say eight to 10,000 total for a set or even five to 10,000, let's go on the low side and say, you can maybe find a a solution for 5,000, five to 10,000 per set. And it's not just one set at most places it's two, three, or even four sets. So now instead of talking five to 10,000, we are talking, you know, Ten to thirty thousand um, per, you know, for for installation. So the price tag is higher, I think, than most people really um, want to admit. And I I posed on Twitter yesterday, you know, who has gotten an actual quote to install a set of uh, a set of shot clocks and. I got crickets. <laughs> nobody nobody has actually gotten that quote. And I know back in 2017, there was discussions that there would be some bulk purchasing that could be available, maybe through some of the CISA organizations. Um, they would work with the suppliers. Um, but again, I, I even if you can find the clock for X amount of dollars, you still have to install it. You still have to wire it. You still have to have a housing. You still have to have bracketing. You still have to have supports there's there's more than just the clock that you're buying, and you have to factor all of that in certainly. In um, and, and that doesn't include, and, and I think the annual recurring costs are less significant. Obviously, you know most schools I, I hope are paying their scoreboard operator, their game book operator, and now you would have another uh, person at that uh, table that you would have to pay to operate a shot clock. Um, you know, that's that's less, but I don't think it's completely, you know, completely not impactful. You know, if you're talking, if you've got three levels and you've got to pay, let's say $35 per person at $105 uh, times three, excuse me, times three levels for $105 a night. You've got, um, you know, 12 home games. That's $1,200 times two sports. Now we're talking twenty five hundred dollars a year in recurring costs to pay somebody to operate this the score clock, and, and if you can find somebody to volunteer, God bless you, good on you. Um, I don't know if that's always going to be the case, and I, I don't think it should be the case. If if uh, if somebody's doing that and you know running the risk of uh, getting yelled at because they didn't shot they didn't reset it right or they reset it when they shouldn't or whatever. Like, that person should be paid. If you're not paying your people to, to work at your games, then, you know, that's, that's an issue. But for some schools, again, it, it could be $2,500 a year in recurring costs, uh, which is not insignificant. Even if you only have one or two levels, you know, you're still talking $1,000, $1,500 most likely between boys and girls basketball to add a shot clock operator on top of the upfront costs of anywhere from five to 10000 all the way up to, you know, 20000 or 1000 or more. So it's not insignificant. And maybe this is where I'll kind of get into my opinion on the the shot clock, which I, I think most people that have followed this debate going back to 2017 probably know how I have felt on it. Um, I've expressed it a number of times. I just, I, I don't think the return on investment is there when you're talking about the, the cost associated you know, if if we say conservatively, ten thousand dollars is the cost per school for shot clock, which is probably higher because most schools need two sets. But if we use ten thousand, and there's four hundred and eighty eight teams, I believe that pay that excuse me that played um, basketball last year somewhere in that range statewide. You're talking for closer probably over $5 million for schools around the state in total upfront costs to implement a shot clock for high school basketball in the state of Wisconsin. And I just don't know that the return is there to justify that cost. And again, people like to spend other people's money and I get it, but I just don't know that the return is there. High school basketball right now is the highest scoring it's ever been. It is the most free flowing it has ever been. That is not to say that there are not instances that, you know, 35 seconds don't, uh, you know, elapse on a possession. That's not to say that uh, teams don't hold the ball the last minute or a minute and a half or whatever in a close game. Um, that's not to say that a shot clock would not impact some of those contests. Um, but again, $5 million, conservatively, I, I, I don't personally see the return on investment for that. Um, I'm also probably in the minority of coaches in the state of Wisconsin that has actually coached with a shot clock. Um, I was the head men's basketball coach at UW-Richland uh, from 2003 to 2006, played with a shot clock, it's been a long time ago. I can't. I think it might have been a, uh, might have been a forty, or forty-five second shot clock back then. Maybe it was thirty-five. I can't even remember. It's been too long, um, and it has changed uh, since that time. They they lowered the shot clock number. Maybe they lowered it from thirty-five to thirty. Maybe that's what it was. Uh, but I coached with a shot clock, and you know UW Richland is um, it's not high high level college basketball by any means. Um, and we made it work and we found, you know, it was, it was just part of the game and you understood and and everything like that. Uh, But I, I can see a lot of situations where teams that are not very strong, maybe lower level teams, you know, teams that aren't very skilled, whatever it might be, are really going to struggle. And it's going to create for some of them more bad basketball, because now they're going to have to make a uh, a forced shot attempt in a certain time frame with end of clock situations that in in a lot of places are really ugly already at the end of a half or end of a game. Um, you're going to add that in potentially more often during the course of the game. Um, I will be the first to say that I hate stalling. Hate it. I, I don't understand coaches that do it. And I'm talking true stalling. I'm talking. Twelve minutes left in the game, sitting at half court with the ball on your hip. That's the kind of stalling that I'm talking about. That's the kind of stalling that I hate. That um, I don't think serves anybody. I don't think it serves the student athletes. I don't think it serves the game of basketball. Um, I understand it's within the rules, but I don't. I don't like it, and I. Uh, I think that should be out of the game. In. in a shot clock addresses it. I understand that, but I think there are other ways to address that, either at the school level. I mean, if you're an athletic director and you let that happen, I think, you know, I think that's that's unfortunate. Um, if you're a coach that does it, I think that's very unfortunate. If you stall with, you know, a minute and a half left in a tie game to hold for the last shot, not ideal, I understand, but you know, that's different, that's much different than a true stall. And a true stall is so extremely rare. It gets tons of headlines when it happens. It happens every couple years. It happens, um, I can't remember the schools involved, I believe there were great northern schools that were involved and the game ended like 20 to 19 or something. This was three or four or five years ago and it got all kinds of headlines and led people to clamor for a shot clock and this is why we need a shot clock or there's games nationally that um are just a mockery of the game that end you know five to three or whatever that come up every couple years and and that leads people to justify in their head a shot clock and those instances are so rare you know if you had five games in wisconsin which might be um (laughs) might be on the high side that involve a true stall, standing at half court for extended periods, you know, with considerable time left on the clock, um, amongst the thousands and thousands of games that are played, I just, those are outliers that I I don't think justify spending $5 million to address. Um, You know, obviously at the end of a game, if you're behind right now, you know, you have to catch up. And right now your opportunities are to get the ball back uh, in whatever way you have to. Uh, a steal or you have to foul. And I'm not a fan. You know, I don't, I don't like the foul fest at the end of games. I, you know, I, I, if there was a way to implement a shot clock just in the last two minutes of a game and without having to pay $5 million around the state of Wisconsin, I'd all be for it. I'd be all for it. Um and I don't know, and I've said this before. It's it's not probably reasonable or, or whatever. But if there was a way to, to have some kind of account, to have some kind of a coach's challenge, I I don't know what it would be that you could do to prevent stalling, or to force action, without having to go to a a shot clock. I I would be all for it. And and let's also accept and understand that defenses have, opportunities to. Um, get the ball back already. There's a five second count to get the ball in bounds. There's a 10 second count to get the ball past half court. There's a three second count in the lane. There's a five second closely guarded. All those rules help the defense and help, help can help the defense get the ball back. Obviously the defense can get steals and trap and do all that stuff as well. When it comes to true stalling, let's also remember that it takes two teams to mutually agree to that situation. So you can be upset at the offense, but the defense is allowing it to happen, or you can be upset at the defense for allowing it to happen, but the offense is, is doing it. So let's also remember that it takes two teams and two coaches to mutually agree, we're not going to do anything in a true stall situation. Um, and again, at the end of a game where a shot clock would be beneficial, there are opportunities for the, the defense to, uh, to, to do things, to get the ball back, to force action, to get the ball back, um those those things are in place already. So uh long story short, I I don't I don't see the return on investment in the expenses involved with a shot clock personally. I also think overall while I think it could be beneficial in some instances to some teams in some games, I think overall that will be balanced out by worse basketball in some situations in some teams. I think it will have a negligible overall impact on the game of basketball. And I think basketball is in a really good place as it is with high level play, with more action, more scoring, more up tempo. The addition of or the change to halves and the expanded uh, games a few years ago have been outstanding. I just don't personally see the need for a shot clock. And I understand that is uh, not the view. Of many people or even the majority of people in the basketball community. Uh, I understand that, um, you know, as a representative of the, of the WBCA that is not aligned with the, uh, you know, the larger uh, membership or the executive board of the WBCA, I think it's okay and important to be able to have a different opinion though um, and obviously do so respectfully. Um, so it, in my opinion, I just don't See the the necessity of a shot clock, especially when you're talking about the cost involved. And as we get closer to that um, vote on the shot clock, we would love to be able to expand on this conversation and have some coaches on to provide input and further, you know, uh, opportunity to provide discussion. Maybe opportunities to have a little bit of a debate between, you know, a coach or a couple coaches that are in favor of a shot clock, with some coaches that are. Uh, not proponents of a shot clock. Get some more of that coach perspective. We certainly will. Mark Miller is uh, going to have an article later this week on wisports.net uh, with some insight and in, um, involvement also from Norbert Durst with boys and girls coaches providing some um, you know some reactions, some thoughts, some uh, some things in writing um, in an article. but again we'll we'll work to get uh, some additional conversations on the topic on Uh, On the podcast, if you asked me right now and and people have, you know, what what do I think is going to happen um, out of this discussion? I think as of right now, I lean towards while the advisory council, I don't think would necessarily be in favor of it. I don't know that the board of control would necessarily be in favor of it. I think we could see a scenario where the advisory council votes to advance it. The board of control votes to advance it with the idea being, let's give the schools the opportunity to have their voice heard, to provide not closure because it's not, whatever happens is not going to be the end of the discussion, but to give them the opportunity to say yes or no. Let's advance it to the area, to the annual meetings, excuse me to the annual meeting in uh, in April and give the schools the opportunity to say yes or no. They have not had that. They uh, obviously, through the, the representative process in 2017, um, it, it passed and then was defeated. The WBCA survey, I think, is important and a good indication of where schools stand, but ultimately it's not um, it's not a complete view. It's not an official view. So I, I think lean towards seeing a situation where even though the advisory council and the board of control aren't in favor of it they do advance it give the schools the opportunity to say yes or no in 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 some ways put the conversation to bed one way or another again it would not be permanent even if it's voted down it's not like this is the end forever it could be brought back uh, at some point but Rather than talk about it every year and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it, let's just get that uh, official vote done, and that would give clarity on the process and and what you know the schools excuse me what the schools ultimately really want out of this debate so that's where I would lean right now I would and then at the school level, obviously, that you know what happens in April at the annual meeting. As of right now, I would lean towards it being defeated, but you know we'll see as the conversation continues and as uh, as you know, I'm sure it will be on if if it passes the board of control. I'm sure it will be on the agenda and a huge discussion item at the area meetings. So uh, we're we're in for a lengthy debate. I I think is is where I would go with it. Shot clock, uh, lots of discussion, lots of, um, you know, information, um, but we'll move on for now. Before we do, though, let's remind you to help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Well, the shot clock is not the only Big ticket item being proposed out of the basketball coaches advisory committee, also being reintroduced as a plan that was put forward last year by the coaches committee, that would re uh, that would adjust the the division cut lines and how teams are placed into divisions uh, for high school basketball. Still staying with five divisions, but adjusting the number of teams and how the the cut lines work. As well as adding two more teams to the Division One state tournament for boys and girls basketball, bringing their total to six, with six um, sectionals in basketball, and I, I'm I'm not the first one to talk about this or propose this, but it it did kind of emanate from uh, after the 2022 state tournament which was our first one back to normal after COVID. Uh, 20 was canceled, 21 was the uh, adjusted um, state tournaments with two locations and limited spectators. 22 was back to normal, but we saw a significant reduction in attendance at the state tournaments. And um, you know, as after those state tournaments were completed, uh, I, I got thinking around what are, what are ways to address state tournament attendance? And there's a lot of different reasons, first of all, why state tournament attendance was down. Um, but ultimately, you know, one of the things that that I and a lot of people for a number of years have talked about is that there is a open session on Thursday morning in the state tournament schedule for boys and basketball, for boys and girls basketball. That was uh, out of the change to five divisions. Um, no longer did you have the division one quarterfinals on on Thursday. So there's an open session. So what can you do to fill it? Well, you can't add four teams to Division One, for instance, like some people would like to do uh, because that would create too many games. It would not fit in the existing schedule. Um, but you could add two more games if you add two teams to the state tournament. And so the proposal that I wrote about um, in, I believe it was right after the state tournament in 2022 was adding two teams to state, and, and I s- proposed adding in Division One. I. I don't necessarily go for the uh, the idea that larger schools have to have more teams at the state tournament in any sport. Um, I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that theory. But if you're if you're talking about um, you know where do you add the teams? In, at the state tournament, I think it makes sense to add them at the, uh, at the larger school level. I, I think there's rationale for it. The same rationale that large school proponents have used to, to argue for why they should have more teams, in, in, in their opinions, eight teams at the state tournament, um, generally, the better teams are at the larger school level. Better players are lar- at the ar- larger school level. Um, they represent more more uh, more part of the population. There's more interest level. Again, to me, I, in a vacuum, in and of itself, I, I don't support that that idea that you have to add more because of those things. But again, if we're adding two more teams and adding a, a session, I think it makes sense to do it at the large school level. So. That was my my thought was to add those uh, add those games in, fill that Thursday morning session, get some more attendance, some more juice at the state tournament. Um, but if you do that, right now, Division One in boys and girls basketball has the fewest teams by far of any of the divisions, and so um, the other the other part of it is, you know, we have a declining enrollment overall in Wisconsin where there are fewer large school teams. And if you go back to when five divisions came about in 2011, we're we're talking cut lines for smallest division one at 1,200. There were more schools in division one back then than there are now. The demographics have changed over the last decade. There are fewer large schools, there are more small schools. And so my thought was to kind of rebalance the divisions a little bit. I proposed lowering the, uh, the enrollment for division one to 1,100. Um, kind of adjusting some things there. My thought was it would just be a conversation starter, but ultimately, the uh, the basketball coaches advisory committee proposed my exact plan or or proposal or thoughts um, towards the you know through the the uh, administrative process, the rulemaking process through the WIAA. Um, I was a little surprised by that. I didn't expect that to happen, but. Um, they advanced that proposal, but like the shot clock last year it got defeated at the advisory council level um, and there was a lot of talk in, in um give a, a big amount of credit to Terry slack from Wisconsin Dallas the superintendent there you know he was very engaged with the basketball community and the basketball coaches Association especially in saying even though this got voted down you know we're we're not opposed to the idea and one of the, the reasons that that particular proposal did not get supported, um, th- there was a, a view at, at the Advisory Council and within the WIAA that to add more Division One teams to the state tournament, they should then have to have more teams in Division One than they currently do and then they would have under uh, even my proposal, which would have increased the number of D1 schools, I think, by eight or nine, something like that. Um, and uh, and Terry came to one or two WBCA executive board meetings and presented on some ideas that he had around rebalancing divisions. Um, there was also an idea, too, basketball is the only division that, or excuse me, the only sport that sets any part of its divisional structure based on an enrollment cutoff. All other sports are based on certain number of teams in each division. It's not equal teams in each division in other sports, but it is, um, you know, 96 in division one, 88 in division two, 128 in division five, whatever it might be. There's no enrollment cutoff in any other sports. So there was a thought of standardizing basketball with the other sports from that perspective, which, you know, good, bad, or indifferent is kind of the antithesis of why the five division proposal you know, was done the way it was done in terms of having hard enrollment cutoffs at at certain points. And we'll talk about why that was done and and why I think there's there's, um, rationale to keep it that way. But the idea of, again, rebalancing the divisions a little bit more than they had been, even in, in what I had talked about last year, and Changing, you know, to a a more standard structure of certain number of teams instead of enrollment cutoffs were two ideas that the uh, the advisory council um, you know wanted to see potentially as part of a reintroduced plan, and that's exactly what happened this year. The basketball coaches advisory committee proposal would adjust the number of teams in Division One to 96. The top 96 would be in Division One. That was done to uh you know, you would have six sectionals of 16 teams. Nice, easy number. The smallest 128 would stay in Division Five as they do now, and then the remainder would be divided into equally into the uh, into Divisions Two, Three, and Four, depending on the year, depending on the sport, because there are different numbers of boys and girls teams. Uh, it would be roughly 85 to 90 teams in Divisions Two, Three, and Four with 96 in division one, which gets more teams at state, and then the smallest 128 in division five. Um, let's break that down a little bit and, and discuss why you know, some of those numbers were in play. Again, part of this proposal is six teams at state in division one, which means you have to have six sectionals, which means six, 16 teams in each sectional, a nice even number, that's the 96 in division one. There's certainly some discussion and and understandable discussion about why Division 5 would have more teams than Divisions 2, 3, or 4, and I think a a big part of the reason for that is if you you go to, let's say, 96 or 100 teams or or equal number of teams in Divisions 2 through 5, the really small schools in Division 4... Would, would which would have in the past been Division Five, would be a you know at a, a disadvantage and would be a significantly different number than the teams at the top of Division Four. There would be a really high difference in, in the impact of that difference. You know if we're talking 180 kids as you know now a new Division Four school. And I don't know if that's the exact number, but let's just use that for an example, 180 kids. And now, you know, the, the largest Division 4 teams would be, you know, 280 or close to 300. That's a pretty significant difference in, uh, you know, competitive ability in in everything. So the idea was to to keep those smaller schools together in a more, um, you know, balanced um situation where yes there would be more schools in division five but the schools would be more like each other than if there was a division uh, excuse me a different rebalance of the divisions so that's why the the committee proposed 128 smallest schools in division five and then again the the other part makes sense you you equally divide the, the remainder of teams in divisions two three and four. Again, you would have roughly 85 to 90 teams in each of those divisions. On WSN, later this week, we will have an analysis of if this proposal was implemented using last year's numbers, what would it look like? So that we can actually understand what it would look like. And I've seen kind of similar proposals and where cut lines would be on some of those. Um, it, It does... It does impact things. Uh, it does change the landscape, certainly. Uh, obviously, you would pull up more schools into Division One, which is impactful. You would go from, I think it was around 70 or 75 schools in Division One to 96. So you're talking now certainly down to 1,100 enrollment. Closer to 1,000 enrollment would go up to Division One. The big difference that I see in, in the the challenge that I see with, with doing it this way, instead of doing it by enrollment as was done previously is um, that division two level, which is, is always the one division two in, in basketball, you know, the difference between three and four in football, like that's really a a big gap in the type of teams that you're going to see in right, right now in division two, you've got a lot of larger suburban type schools, the, you know the the lacrosse schools and the um, De Forests and the Stoughton's and the um, you know some of those suburban type schools that that are connected to larger metropolitan areas that um, you know, are competing sometimes in in this new proposal would be competing against teams down certainly under 600 in enrollment closer to, to 500 or maybe even under. Uh, you know, rural teams, and, and those larger teams, by the way, are often competing in conferences with Division One and Division II teams. Whereas a small now, a new small Division II school would often be competing against teams of, you know, four to 600 during the regular season. And so, you know, that would be a challenge, I think, a significant challenge for the new small Division Two teams. And that's one of the reasons for the enrollment cutoffs the way they were in the five-division plan that was uh, implemented in 2011. That was the discussion at that time. Um, that, number one, the small, at that time, the small D1 schools were having a really hard time competing against the larger schools. So the schools of around 1,000 to 1,100 really were were struggling against the schools that were 15, 1,800, 2,000. The Division two conversation was similar. It wasn't quite as... You know, talked about it wasn't as high profile, but I, I think for the people that were working on the proposal, it was it was you know definitely part of it. In the old system, when there was four divisions, the small D2 schools were were struggling often to compete against the really larger Division two schools, the the suburban schools that competed against larger competition during the year. There was a pretty big gap there. And so that's why the enrollment cutoff for Division Two is currently 600 on the low end to 1,200 on the high end, trying to keep, you know, roughly a two-to-one ratio between the largest and the smallest schools in the division. That was a big part of of uh, that conversation at that time. So this plan would this plan would certainly, um, you know, make it a little. <laughs> A little tougher for some of those uh, some of those schools on the low end of the new Division II enrollment trend, but I think there's certainly merit to it. I think there's there's justification for doing it the way this proposal is being done. Um, Division one, as we mentioned, would have six sectionals of 16 teams. You would have six teams at state for Division one. And that's another part of it that I think people are, you know, understandably discussing. In But I will say the idea that um, two teams in Division I would get a bye, the top two teams, uh, with the other four teams playing uh, in a quarterfinal essentially, all the Division One coaches that I have talked to would make that trade off of, Potentially getting to state as a uh, and having to play right away trade off for two more teams at the state tournament in Division One. That is the response that I have heard. I don't know if that's you know a uh, a significant response. If that's how all of the Division One coaches feel, I'm guessing your your viewpoint might change a little bit if you were a three seed at the state tournament and thought you should have been a two seed. Um, and by the way, the seeding would still continue to be done by the computer seeding that's been implemented, um, that is continuing to, uh, to be reviewed. Um, but if, you know, it's, it's a pretty significant uh, advantage to get a bye at the state tournament um, than having to play as a three seed or a four seed. But again, the, the coaches I've heard from would make that trade off to have to potentially play one more game at the state tournament in exchange for getting a couple more teams at the state tournament. The structure of the state tournament would be under this proposal, the division four semifinals would now be the morning session on Thursday. The division three semifinals would be the afternoon session and the division one quarterfinals would be the Thursday night session, three versus six, four versus five. I would probably change that around a little bit I've heard from a number of larger schools over the last couple of years, as we've been talking about declining in uh, state tournament attendance, that for some of the big schools, if they play at night, they don't get as many students to come because you know, if they play during the day, like they used to when the D1 quarterfinals were on Thursday, they would take buses and, and the kids could get out of school and that would be enough to, to justify the kids wanting to go. You know, now if they not if they're not getting out of school, then they're less likely to go. Um, I so I would maybe put the Division One quarterfinals in the morning on Thursday, and then go three four or four three. You might get more attendance out of those Division One schools at the quarterfinal level. Um, I think the D four and D three fans that are going to come are going to come whether they play at nine in the morning or six thirty at night. Um, the rest of the schedule would be pretty similar to where it is now. D five semifinals would be Friday morning. D two semifinals Friday afternoon. Division one semifinals on Friday. Interestingly enough, they would have the uh, the top seed, the number one seed, play the winner of the three six game, and the two seed play the winner of the four five game. They would not reseed that. So it's not like so so. For instance, the one seed could play the three, while the uh, Two gets to play a five seed, um, so, no, I have that backwards, actually, don't I? Uh, the, the one would play the winner of the four, five, I believe, and the, uh, the two would play the winner of the three, six. Um, I'll, I'll double check the, the exact proposal, but uh, either way, they, they, they would not be reseeded after those first games. So you could have a situation where the one seed plays a tougher team than the two seed. Um so that's the proposal that's been put forth. Uh, again, I think it, it makes some changes to the plan that was advanced last year that the advisory council would like to see or has indicated they would like to see where there would be more teams now in Division one, there would be a particular specific plan for um, division, for, excuse me for the state tournament schedule. That was another thing. There, there was no plan for the state tournament schedule as part of that initial uh, proposal last year. So we'll see. We'll see if that passes. I do. Um, I do think that it's got a good chance to pass. I, I think there's justification for it. I think there's some small schools that would still be a little unhappy that you know they, they feel they would be getting the shaft by not getting by Division One getting preferential treatment if you will getting more teams at state by division 5 having more teams in its division but again if you're a large D5 team right now are you are you going to be more um pleased if you had to move up to division 4 under a plan that would call you know for 96 teams in division 5 and 96 elsewhere I don't know that that's a better situation than just having more teams in division 5 so Again, I think it's got a decent chance to pass. I I think um, it makes some adjustments that make sense compared to last year's plan. And ultimately, I mean, we saw a, a little bit of a rebound in state tournament attendance this year at the Boys and Girls Basketball State Tournaments. But it's still down from where it has been previously. And the basketball state tournaments are the number one revenue generator for the WIAA. And... If state tournament attendance is down, that is significantly impactful. Most sports tournaments, state tournaments in the WIAA lose money. So they have to make money on, and they have to make good money on the sports that do make money. With basketball being the number one, I just feel like there's uh, an opportunity to recoup some of that revenue that is being lost with the declining attendance by adding that session on Thursday morning. This is the easiest way to do so. This is the easiest way to garner more attendance at the state tournament. So I think, obviously, I I proposed the idea over a year ago, um, and I think it's, it's uh, a good opportunity to do so, and I think it does pass. The other uh, agenda item coming out of the uh, Basketball Coaches Advisory Committee was relatively minor. It was an adjustment to the Pre-game officials protocol and timeline that would bring it in line with the NFHS would eliminate the coaches meeting, which is really just a coaches handshake and introduction at a minute and a half. It would it would be done earlier as part of a captains meeting. Um, that was the other item that came out of the basketball coaches advisory committee. So big dates to remember on these: June 20th, the advisory council will vote on these. They will provide an up or down vote to advance to the board of control or not. And then June 21st is the board of control meeting where they will vote uh, on these potentially if they are advanced to that level. All right, a lot of talk there, a lot of uh, over an hour apparently talking about shot clock and talking about divisional expansion. Um, You've made it a long while and I I appreciate it if you're still listening. Uh, I do wanna highlight some important changes that we have coming to our WSN Extra subscription service. Not changes that we necessarily wanted to make, but that we have to make because the sports engine platform that we are on mm-hmm. is no longer going to support subscriptions and renewing uh, subscriptions and automatic renewals for subscriptions. So we don't have a choice, but to find another option. And so we have uh, built a site that we are going to utilize for all of our uh, WSN Extra subscription content at um where you can find all of our, our extra content will going forward live there all new subscriptions that are created that sign up will be done on the new site Uh, again not because we wanted to but because we had to Um, for new subscribers it's going to be very easy you sign up on the new site and it's very straightforward for existing subscribers unfortunately we don't have the ability to migrate your information over to the new system because of privacy because of security we can't We can't bring over your username and password. We can't bring over your credit card and payment information. Again, for legal, security, privacy reasons. So what will happen going forward for existing subscribers, we will continue to cross-publish content on our new WSN Extra site for our new subscribers and on our, what we'll call our legacy WSN uh, WSN site for our existing subscribers. When you're renewal comes due in the month that your renewal comes due, we will cancel your subscription, notify you and encourage you hopefully to continue to sign up, uh, and be a WSN Extra subscriber, excuse me, on the new site. And we'll do that going forward, um, and try to, as best we can, minimize issues and hassles for our users. Again, we understand it's, it's not ideal. It's not ideal for us either. We know that it's going to have a an impact on our business, um, but it's what we have to do, and it, it does give us some interesting opportunities to uh, to do some different things that we haven't been able to do before. To you know, track things better than we have been able to do before. There are some benefits to the new system that we will be using, but for a time here, it is going to be a challenge, and it will you know we'll we'll try to mitigate as many of those as we can. Um, When we post articles on social and and things like that, we will post links to both the new extra.wisports.net site article and to our legacy site article for our existing subscribers. So we'll continue to promote both of them that way. Um, For coaches, it does mean that you're gonna have to have two separate accounts to access our site. If you are, are a subscriber, you will have a account on our new Extra.Wisports.Net site that will um, be for reading premium content. And then you'll have a different access. You'll have a different login <coughs> Excuse me, on our, uh, on our legacy site for where you'll enter your, your stats, your team information. If you choose to use the same username and password on both, you can. That's on you. Um, but it will be technically different accounts. It's not single sign-on. Similarly, for our message board posters, if you're also a WSN Extra subscriber, you will have to have two separate accounts, one to post um, on the message board on our uh, legacy site, and a new one, a separate one, to read WSN Extra content going forward. If you have questions, please let us know. Again, we, we thank everybody for uh, being such great partners over the years and in, in trusting in us to, uh, to provide unrivaled high school sports coverage in the state of Wisconsin and be able to provide uh, an outlet for our uh, outstanding writers to provide their expert analysis and, and be the recognized experts in the space and in high school sports. Um, and we hope you continue to trust us to be that source and we will continue to try to, uh, to minimize the impact. Um, and if there's anything that we can do to help, please let us know as we make that transition Finally, I want to give a big shout out to all of the uh, people that that helped make the WFCA Combine over the weekend a great event. We've long been a partner in that event, Um, and just incredible to see over 500 kids testing there, over 75 college coaches in attendance. A big thank you to the folks at Next Level for hosting and administering the testing there. Uh, Several dozen high school coaches came and and worked the event to, uh, to be scorekeepers and you know, help guide players around and work registration. Um, we had uh, just a great turnout. A big thank you to the players that attended. A big thank you to Tony Biolo, the combine director, uh, for making it a great day. You can obviously check out all the results at Wisports.net. You can check it out on the Wfca site as well. All of those informa- All of those results and information was provided to the college coaches in attendance, and was just another great day. Speaking of great days. With that in the rearview mirror, now we can turn our attention to the WSN Gridiron Showcase, the second annual event uh, that we will do again at Plymouth High School, the indoor turf facility they have there. It is set uh, for the Friday of the WFC All-Star Games, which is going to be Friday, July 14th at Plymouth. Um, In addition to combine-style testing, we will also once again do positional drills conducted by college coaches from around the state of Wisconsin looking forward to a great day. We've got great response and signups already and uh, you know just looking to continue to grow that uh, that opportunity. Speaking of other events at WSN, we've got our All-State Summer Shootout coming up. It's almost sold out. Um, so if you're looking to get your varsity team in a great tournament this summer, make sure you check out the All-State Summer Shootout boys and girls events set for uh, Beaver Dam the 28th and 29th of uh, of June. Um We've also got coming up, uh, we just launched registration for our traditional WSN basketball showcase that we do. A little bit of a change this year. Kettle Moraine is undergoing some renovations, which has been a great partner for a lot of years. Uh, they will not be available, so our WSN basketball showcase will be at Homestead High School this year. will be held Sunday, September 10th, and uh, again, you can find registration um, on wissports.net for that. We have a couple other events that we're looking forward to uh, to announcing coming up very soon as well. Gosh, we got through a lot today. Gosh, I talked a lot today. Uh, approaching an hour and a half of me talking. More than you wanted to hear. I apologize. <laughs> we're going to try to keep it uh, keep it down going forward. Try to have some more folks on to break up the monotony of my voice to you. Um, but I do appreciate you making it this far if you have, like I've done before. Hey, if, if you made it this far, give me an email, give me a, a tweet on Twitter, let me know. I'll get you out a, a WSN t-shirt. Appreciate you uh, listening this long if, you, if you've made it. So hit me up, we'll get you a, a WSN t-shirt. Uh, thank you for, uh, for, for, for staying tuned this long. Hopefully you've, uh, you've been informed, hopefully you've learned something, hopefully you enjoyed Um, today's WSN podcast. Before we're done, let's help save lives on Wisconsin roads again. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Finally, the weather is starting to turn just a little bit. Getting warmer, getting nicer. Spring sports, uh, feeling a little bit better, certainly better than earlier this week. My goodness, was at my son's track meet earlier this week. Miserable, cold, windy. Youth baseball, Monday night, cold, windy. Um, not good conditions for, for spring sports by any means, but hopefully we're finally starting to turn that corner and get uh, 70 degrees. Uh, heck, uh, a few days ago it was uh, 55 and mostly sunny and it was it was amazing. It shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't have 55 degrees be our, our uh, you know, this feels good temperature at this time of the year. But finally turning, spring sports, getting going a little bit more, uh, and, and we're looking forward to, uh, to tournament time starting very, very soon. But that will do it for today for the WSN podcast. I am Travis Wilson. This has been a WSN podcast. We'll see you at a game.